Hey you guys, I'm Sean Bitzer. I'm so glad that you're joining us. I'm one of the pastors here at MCC, and I'm so glad that you're part of this family, that you're taking some time out to join us in worshiping together through song, through study, and through giving. And I hope that you'll find a way to get connected and get plugged in. Today, we're actually starting a brand new series in the book of Philemon. I know, I know you've probably done a lot of reading, a lot of study in the book of Philemon. Um, but the book of Philemon is actually one of the shortest books in all the New Testament. And because of it, it's only one chapter. Some people don't even put a chapter mark in. Sometimes they'll refer to Philemon and they'll just refer to it by the verse number. It's a super short book and we're going to get into it today. We're going to spend the next four weeks together um, looking at the story and what we can learn from the book of Philemon. Uh, but today we're just going to kind of set the scene for it and, and see if maybe there's something undergirding this whole letter, this whole story of Paul that we could learn from. And so, so today, the way I want to begin is I just actually want to read to you the full of the book of Philemon, the letter uh, of Philemon, and, and then we're going to talk. It, it won't take long, but to give you some context, here we go. You ready? Here we go. Paul a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved brother and fellow worker, and to Aphia, our sister, and to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in, our, in your house. Grace to you and, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always, making mention of you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith with which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. And, and I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. For I have come to have much joy and comfort in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through the brother, through, through you, brother. Therefore, I am confident in Christ to order you to do what is proper. Yet for, for love's sake, I rather to appeal to you. Since I am such a person as Paul, the aged, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus. So, so Paul's introducing himself. This is how they would write letters, right? It's kind of odd culturally. You think about it, it's kind of a weird thing that we wait until the end of the letter to tell who wrote the letter. And so in ancient Near Eastern culture, you'd begin with addressing yourself, telling you who's writing. And he's writing to, where the, the letter gets its name, is to this man named Philemon and Aphia. We, we don't particularly know who she is. Maybe the wife of Philemon or, or a, an actual biological sister of Philemon and Archippus, and we also don't know who he is. But he, but he begins with all this gratitude and this thankfulness for who Philemon is and, and the household of faith that he is. And, he, and, and here's where we're going to introduce to the story that surrounds the letter to Philemon. It says this, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my imprisonment, whom formerly was useless to you, but is now useful both to you and to me. I have sent him back to you in person. That is sending my very own heart. So, so the one carrying this letter from the prison that Paul's in to the house of Philemon is Onesimus. 
Verse 13, whom I wish to keep with me so that on your behalf he might minister to me in my imprisonment for the gospel. But without your consent, I did not want to do anything so that your goodness would not be in effect by compulsion, but by your own free will. For, For perhaps he was for this reason separated from you for a while, that you would have him back forever. No longer, here's the key, this is where the whole story revolves around. No longer as a slave. So so here's what we we learn in this moment is Paul's writing a letter to Philemon, who apparently is the master to this slave named Onesimus. And many historians, scholars believe that Paul is actually probably imprisoned in a town called Ephesus, and it's not very far away from the town that Philemon lived in called Colossae. It's 30 or 40 miles to the east. It's it's a relatively connected community, and it seems that Onesimus has fled as a slave or as a bond servant. We're going to talk about slavery and, and, and what that means to us in week three. So don't worry, we're not going to avoid the issue, um, but it's not really the thing we're going to address today. But, but um, Onesimus has run away as an indentured servant, as a slave, as a bond servant. And, and he's met Paul and something's happened in that exchange so much so that Paul says that he's begotten him as his son. And he sends him back to Philemon carrying this letter. Verse 16 again. No longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord? If then you regard me as a partner, accept him as you would me. But if he's wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, am writing with this with my own hand. I will repay it. Not, not to mention to you that you owe me even your own self as well. Yes, brother, let me benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you. Since I know that you will do even more than what I say. At the same time, also prepare a lodge for me. For I hope that through your prayers, I will be given to you. Epaphras, my fellow servant, my fellow prisoner in Christ, Jesus greets you. As do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. You ever um, been in your house or maybe in a car and, and somebody else is on the phone and, and uh, you're trying to piece together the pieces? Or maybe you're at a restaurant and, and that one person is sitting in the restaurant on the phone talking away and it seems like an incredibly intriguing story. Oh no, man, I was right there. And the alligator, oh, I know, did you see? Right, you, you hear just this one half of the story. And sometimes you can piece together some of the parts of the story and it kind of makes a little bit of sense. But sometimes you're just totally left out in the dark because you're only getting one half of the conversation. The the story of Philemon is like eavesdropping on one half of a phone conversation. 
As I said, there's things we can piece together and we can part together and through church history and, and even just through this specific letter and through scholarship, we can figure things out. We can figure out that Onesimus was a slave. We can figure out that he was indebted in some way to um, Philemon. We can suspect, by the way um, Paul refers to it, that when Onesimus left, um, he must have taken something from Philemon. Now, maybe it was just his service. Maybe he robbed him of his service, and maybe that's what Paul's referring to. There are these things we can kind of piece together, but what we have in the book of Philemon is just one half of the story. There's a lot of things we don't know. We don't. We don't know actually what happened to lead to Onesimus being a slave of Philemon. It seems clear that Philemon is wealthy because he has at least one slave, maybe multiple, probably more than one slave or bondservant or indentured servant, but we don't know what industry Philemon was in. We don't even know for sure where Paul is when he's writing this letter, how far away he is. We don't know what's led to Onesimus running into Paul. Did, did, did um, Paul somehow convert Philemon and Onesimus knew of Paul but wasn't a follower of Jesus? And then he fled and he went to what he thought would be this mediator in Paul and he he met him that way. Did, did Onesimus just run away? No, I have no idea who Paul is. And maybe he ends up in a, in a, in a city or in a community. And, and he, he hears about this guy named Paul preaching this guy named Jesus. And his life is transformed by Jesus. And then Paul puts the, the dots together that he knows Philemon. And we don't know how Philemon responds. We don't know if Philemon gets this letter and with gratitude for all that Paul's done. He humbly listens to the words of Paul, and he does this culturally shocking and revolutionary thing, and he, he, he treats him as a brother and not a slave. Well, what does this mean for the, the whole house of Philemon? Like, if there's more slaves, and, and this, this one slave, this one servant runs away, and he comes back with a letter from Paul being a follower of Jesus, what happens to the rest of the house? Does, does Philemon release all the rest of his bond servants, or his endangered servants, or his slaves from their service? There's a lot of things about this story that we don't no, but there is one thing that this story shows, and it's the reason that I wanted to look at it for four weeks. The power, the profoundness, the weightiness of this story, the shockiness, the, the thing that has, that has captivated followers of Jesus for centuries, the reason that this little letter, you know how many letters Paul wrote? Some of those details we don't know, but Paul probably wrote a ton of letters. He, he seems to, at different times in his life, had a full-time scribe with him just writing letters to people. And none of those letters or few of those letters survive. But this letter to Philemon, like it makes sense when you look at a scripture. There's some other letters Paul wrote. He wrote um, to some churches, but he wrote to some people specifically. He wrote to Timothy, and we have two of his letters to Timothy, and he wrote to Titus. And those make sense. Because those are church leaders. Those are, those are people in positions of 
influence and importance. And we could learn a lot by listening to the conversations that leaders are having amongst themselves about what it means to be the church and what it means to be a follower of Jesus and what it looks like to lead inside of Jesus' church. But this guy, Philemon, he, he's, he's just a, he seems to be just an average wealthy dude who's got a runaway servant. But what we can see so beautifully, so brightly, what should be so shocking and weighty and just marinating in every verse of the text is the gospel. Look, this, this whole story, Paul, Paul never, never anywhere in this, this book does Paul ever articulate the gospel. Never anywhere in, the, in, in, all, in almost every other time that Paul writes to anybody, he begins with articulating a, a message of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, that God gave his son, that he gave his life in our place. He, he, he lays it out and explains it. And then what he says is because of this thing we know about Jesus, then this is how we're supposed to live our life. That's what he says over and over and over again in, in what we call the epistles, the letters that he writes to people and churches, but he doesn't in the book of Philemon. The word gospel never occurs in the book of Philemon. He never attempts to articulate the grounding of our faith, and I think that that should all the more magnify the power of how it just saturates the text, because you see, here's, here's what's going on in the book of Philemon. Paul is so consumed by the life-altering, transformative reality of the good news of Jesus, that it is more than just a spiritual reality. You are spiritually saved, yes. Yes, you are justified and sanctified in your spirit of rebellion, in, 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 in our wickedness, in, in our brokenness, in our, in our heart and in our soul, that, that God does transformative work in us, yes. But the gospel is, is a thing that is intended to transform everything about us. Not just our spirit, but the world around us. We just finished studying through the book of Matthew. And the thing the book of Matthew is proclaiming over and over and over and over again is the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is here. The kingdom of heaven is in your midst. And in the end, the book of Matthew ends with the Great Commission, which is an invitation to us to go and further the bounds of the kingdom of heaven, that any place we set our foot and we submit ourselves to the Lord Jesus, that there we as ambassadors are restoring the kingdom of God to that place. And that when we do that, when we live as ambassadors of Christ, as Paul tells us to, that it changes and transforms the world around us. That the message of the gospel, this is something we need to see in the book of Philemon. The message of the gospel is not simply your personal salvation, but to join in the redemption and restoration of the creation around you. That what we get to be a part of, that what we are invited into is not simply a get out of hell free ticket. But what we are invited into, is, we say it in the Lord's Prayer, we say it this way. It's what Jesus told us to pray. Your kingdom come, 
on earth as it is in heaven. That his kingdom would dwell amongst us and that when we as ambassadors of a different king, citizens of a different kingdom, walk in submission to the rule and call of our Savior, it will change the people around us and the way we interact with them. And so what we see in the book of Philemon is Paul's challenge to Philemon is that your salvation cannot end with you. That as a follower of Jesus, saved and redeemed by the good news of his grace and mercy for you, it will change the way that you live amongst others. It will force Philemon to come face to face with the question of, is he going to allow Jesus to be king of this part of his life? The way he treats others, brothers and sisters in the faith, other image bearers of God, will he allow that part of his life that will cost him to be transformed? You see, this is so profound and, and clear when you look through the lens, through, through the book of Philemon. But he, here's what I think. I, I think um, the gospel in the book of Philemon is, um, it's kind of like the things that define culture, right? The, go the gospel is the thing that should define us, should define our culture. But here's the interesting thing about things that define a culture the things that define a culture are often, a, a, the, there's a book um, called Misreading Scripture Through Western Eyes, and they talk a lot about what defines a culture. And, and the thing that they say is that sociologists will say is that what defines a culture are the things that go without being said, right? So, so what makes it unique to be an American is um, maybe not exclusive, but a part of one of the ingredients is the way we greet one another. It, it goes without being said that there is a proper way to greet someone when you approach them. You, you don't have to walk up to someone. I mean, maybe for a while with COVID and stuff like that, you had to, you know, are, oh, are you okay? Are you okay if we shake, fist bump, elbows? Like, <laughs> did we ever think this thing was gonna like hold out? Like that was, that was gonna be our new boom, right? And it so goes without being said that you can walk up. I mean, you watch watch adults do this. Adults will walk up to a one-year-old, to a baby, to a two-year-old. They'll walk up to him and they'll go, hey, high five, right? Because it, it's, it goes without being said that this is a way we greet one another. Well, um, I spent a summer in Portugal. And if you've been to almost any other country in the world, um, Handshakes and fist bumps are not a thing that goes without being said. There is a different practice that goes without being said. And it is, you walk up, and, and uh, in Portugal, uh, men don't greet men this way, but everybody else does. Women greet women, men greet women, women greet, greet men this way. And you walk up to someone, and I, I'm six foot two, and these um, much shorter Portuguese women come walking up to me, and... Um, they would like grab my shoulders and pull me down and they would kiss me on the cheek. And, and in Portuguese culture, it's three times. It's one, two, three, right? And, and nobody, when you get off the airport, there aren't any signs that say, prepare to be kissed three times, 
right? It's just, it goes without being said. I think the real beauty of the book of Philemon is that the gospel, the thing that defines us and our culture as followers of Jesus, just goes without being said. Paul doesn't have to write it out to Philemon, the cost that Jesus paid, the sacrifice that, that as Scripture says, that we were that we're either slaves to sin or a slave to righteousness, that before Jesus, that Philemon himself was a slave to his sinfulness, that he was an enemy before God, that he was rebellious, that he, that he robbed from God, that he owed God everything, that he was a criminal in the, in the eyes of God, that, he was, that he'd run away from, from the goodness of God, just as Onesimus ran away, that Onesimus robbed from Philemon. He didn't have to lay all that out and say, um, because God gave his son for you and he paid the cost, that means that we have no ground to stand on. And then instead, we should treat others as God treated us in Christ Jesus, that he paid the cost, that he gave it all, that he, he let out with grace and mercy and kindness and invitation and invited us to be sons and daughters and brothers and sisters. And in the same way, he, he didn't... He didn't explicitly say any of that. But for Paul, the gospel has so transformed him that there is no other way to see the world than through the lens of the gospel. As the message of Jesus so saturated your heart that the only way you can see others is through the same kind of mercy that God has shown you. There's been a bunch of different phrases, catchphrases that'll come up and people say things like, saved people serve people, right? That people who've been forgiven, those who've been forgiven much, forgive much. And it's this idea that when we recognize the grandeur of God's love and his mercy and his grace to us, Paul says, I don't, I don't even have to demand it of you. I don't even have to demand I just plead out of love. I can tell you, in the light of the love that God has shown you, show Onesimus the same. It's all throughout the text. I mean, look at this. Just, just see if you, can, if you can hear the gospel, the foundations of the gospel, all throughout this text. Look at this. Verse 9. Yet for love's sake, I appeal to you. Hebrews. Hebrews, here, Hebrews, just turn over just a little bit. Hebrews 7, verse 25. Therefore, he being Jesus is all able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him. Since he always lives to make intercession for them. Paul is acting as the intercessor between Onesimus and Philemon, just as Jesus acts as the intercessor between us and God, making appeals on our behalf, the book of Hebrews tells us. Paul is making an appeal on behalf, just as Christ makes an appeal for you on behalf of you before the Lord. Verse 10 he, he says this, this is what Paul, right? Paul is, Paul is acting in the same way that Christ would act. And he, and he says this, Onesimus, whom I have begotten. 
The same kind of language that, that is used elsewhere of us who are in Christ, that, we've been, been, that we have been begotten sons and daughters of God because of Christ Jesus. Verse 13, so that on your behalf he might minister to me in my imprisonment for the gospel. But Paul's saying that he wants Philemon to release Onesimus so that Onesimus might be an agent of the mission of Paul in the world. Is this not what we're called to? That we're called to be ambassadors. That we've been saved for a job. That, 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 that Christ's appeal to the Father on, is on behalf of us, but is to invite us to a mission to bring about the kingdom of heaven into this broken world. Verse 16 says this, that of Onesimus, that he's no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, Galatians 4. Galatians 4, look, I mean, the, the book of Philemon is just layered with the gospel. Galatians 4 says this, Therefore, you being us, you and me, in Christ, are no longer slaves, but a son. But a son. This is the gospel. Verse 17 says this really beautiful and profound line. It says this. It says this. If, you, if then you regard me as a partner, accept him as you would accept me. There is maybe no other verse that so succinctly describes the good news of the gospel. That the father would accept you and he'd accept me as he accepts the son. That's the appeal and the petition of Jesus on our behalf, is that God would accept us just in the same way as he accepts his own son in Jesus. And Paul is appealing Philemon, accept Onesimus as me. Verse 18, the end of verse 18, Paul gives him a charge. He says, if he, he's wronged you, if he owes you anything, well, what does he say? He says, charge it to my account. I'll pay for it. John John writes about this in 1 John 2. He's, he says this, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, uh, he, he has an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He himself is the propitiation or, or the payment for our sins. And not only for ours, but for also for those of the whole world. That whatever we owe God because of our rebellion, because of our sin, because of our wandering, because of our brokenness, because of our idolatry, robbing Him of His glory and His goodness and when what is due Him and the life that He's given us, whatever we owe God, Jesus says, put it on my account. That is the gospel. That's the cross. That's what God is doing in the cross. is making payment for our debt. This is what Paul is appealing to Philemon. Let me pay the debt of my brother in Onesimus, that he might come back to you righteous and pure and clean. He ends this way. I have confidence in this. I know that you will do even more than what I say. This is the confidence that we have in God's goodness because of his demonstration in the gospel. Scripture says elsewhere, he says, he who gave his own son for us, what more would he not give for you? That he, that he wants to give abundantly 
more than we can ask or even imagine. Paul says of the character of God, I know that he will do even more than what I ask. This is the good news of the gospel just layered all throughout the book of Philemon. I think the beauty and the power of the book of Philemon is that it shows us, it reminds us of the gospel, that the gospel is something that will change the way we live, not just inside our hearts, but with our bodies and inside the world we walk in, that because of the gospel, we will walk and interact and live differently amongst those around us. The the beauty of the book of Philemon is the reminder that for every single one of us, the gospel tells us that every single one of us was Onesimus, broken and rebellious, wandering and alone, and yet because of Jesus, we've been begotten as sons and daughters of God, and the payment of our debt has been placed on him so that the Father might welcome us back as sons and daughters, brothers of our Lord Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's a beautiful story. If you haven't heard that story, I want you to know that that's the way God sees you with such grace and mercy and compassion that he's just waiting to invite you home. To welcome you home. He's already invited you home to welcome you home. There's a story, one of the iconic stories of the gospel. is the son who's wandered away. And, 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 and when he comes back, it says the father runs to greet him and grabs him and kisses him and celebrates and rejoices over his son who is dead but now is alive. That every single one of us, because of what Jesus has done, can boldly, scripture says, come back to the father just as Onesimus could come back to Philemon, and to find family. It's the invitation of God. It's for you to find family. To no longer be a slave of sin, but to be a brother, sister. To be a son or a daughter of the king. Here's the last thing I want to give you. Here's where... The rubber is going to meet the road for a lot of us who've been around church for a long time. The gospel is powerful and incredible and amazing. And it is so good for us to rejoice and celebrate God's goodness in recognizing that each one of us is Onesimus in some way in our life. But here's the thing we need to be reminded as we read the book of Philemon. That once we recognize we've become Onesimus, we now have the responsibility of being Philemon. There are people in your life that have wronged you, that have robbed from you, that have hurt you, that have rejected you, that have caused pain and heartache and inconvenience in your life. And the question for so many of us today is are we going to hear the heed of Paul as he says to Philemon? Are we going to be reminded of the gospel? Are we going to be reminded of the love that God showed us? And are we going to have the boldness to, to be faithful and gracious and merciful and kind to those around us just 
as Christ was to us, even when it costs us. So you remember, um, this is just one side of the story. You know, it's just the, the phone call on one end, and we're just hearing Paul talk to Philemon. We're not hearing what Philemon has to say back, and we don't know what Philemon says back. We don't know if, Paul, if Philemon heeded the words of Paul and, and showed grace and mercy and forgiveness and freedom to this former slave who rightfully owed him a debt. But what we get the chance to see today is will we be the kind of people that Paul's inviting Philemon to be? Will we today, in the world we live in, in the families we're a part of, in the neighborhoods and the workplaces we're a part of, will we today respond to the invitation of Christ to show mercy just as he's shown us mercy, to show love just as he's shown us love, to show kindness and forgiveness just as he's shown kindness? Will we be the kind of ambassadors of Christ that look like the Christ, the Messiah who's shown us great mercy and love, even in those moments when it costs us, just as it would have costed Philemon.